And as I love the rooms because of that, we always can do things that no other organism can do. <laughs> A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AB Vista, feed intelligence, and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. With early detection in health, reproduction, and feeding, SmaxTech future-proofs your dairy operation. Your partner for improving animal performance Berg and Schmidt, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. AB Vista helps dairy producers maximize their herd potential with feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function and overall animal health. From young calves to lactating dairy cows, AB Vista is here to combine industry-leading products and optimal feed strategies to increase your ROI. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. I'm your host for today, Gail Carpenter. I'm the State Dairy Extension Specialist for Iowa State University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Elias Bundenstab from AB Vista. Uh, Elias is the Global Technical Manager for Ruminants from AB Vista. He was born and raised in Brazil, uh, and he holds a bachelor's degree in agricultural engineering from UFMS in Brazil. He has a master's in agriculture and feedlot management from Texas AMN. A&M University, a PhD in ruminant nutrition, and a postdoc, both from Auburn University. He has quite a varied experience from consulting to working at beat additive companies and as an animal science professor. He's currently based in College Station, Texas, and he provides technical advice and product development and support to the AB Vesta Global Ruminant Team. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, Elias. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunities, and uh, yeah, I have been uh, running the Global Technical uh, ruminant side for ABVs supporting our entire business around the world. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. All right. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what exactly your role entails at AB Vista? Yeah, I work with the technical support, like I said. So I run uh, the every question, technical question, the ruminant side comes to me, and then I find an answer if I don't have one. And I also work on uh, helping developing new products and uh, testing them and making sure they work and giving a positive ROI. And so everything that's related to the ruminant products, it comes to me and I sort it out and, and help the team to succeed. And I know your your position is global right now. How much time are you actually spending in Texas or are you getting, are you getting out and uh, trotting around all over the world? Interesting enough, I have not traveled a lot this year. I went to Brazil in January and that was it. And uh, last year I had a couple of international travels. And uh, after COVID, we learned a lot in terms of working remotely and only for Teams meetings. So Teams meetings I have uh, almost daily and sometimes in early mornings when I uh, am working with Fastback. 
but traveling, uh, it's not been unbearable lately. It has been pretty nice. I have a couple of uh, scheduled travels for the summer, so already kind of bumping the agenda there. Yeah, it seems like it used to be being close to an airport was important. Now it's having a good internet connection. Exactly. Yeah, the internet is important. Yeah. 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 What's your favorite place that you've gotten to visit? Uh, on, on my job or anywhere kind of, uh, well, we'll say with your job and keep it on, keep it on track with the discussion today. Oh, no, great, great. Yeah. I think that Europe is interesting going to, to England, Italy, those kind of places. You have a lot of interesting, uh, different cultural uh, jocks that we get, but it's really interesting. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, I know when I think of AB Vista, I think of, I think of your enzyme products. Um, and I think of fiber digestibility. Um, and so that's kind of where my mind goes when I think about your company. But I know when we were kind of talking beforehand, uh, you wanted to chat a little bit about NIR technology and, so, and using NIR and calibration. And I know we're shopping around in my lab group right now um, to see to see if we can adopt some of these technologies. So I'm really interested in, in what your thoughts are um, on utilizing NIR technology. Oh, definitely, yes. We at ABV Step, we have been developing for quite a while the service. And uh, NIR, like every company or um, a lot of companies have the equipment available. And the equipment is not the big thing. The biggest thing is having the curves and the calibration. So we are accumulating a lot of knowledge and uh, our calibration is pretty heavy. And so we have a lot of data to rely on and we are improving that as we go. I don't know if you met uh, uh, Chris or... Uh, or NIR guru, unfortunately, he passed this uh, February. But uh, yeah, he did a lot of work on this area and developed the service, Keys Petrovics. And uh, he had developed the service to where we are today. And like I said, he's uh, uh, continuing to improve. And we have a very nice uh, set of data that we can rely on to test any forage or not any forage, but most forage that we have the curve for in this in the field and get that data right on our hand in a, in a, in our iPad or laptop or any kind of technical device you have. I know NIR is it's it's a really exciting and it seems like kind of a, a exploding field right now. Um, and 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 the technology is advancing so quickly. You know, we have handhelds like you mentioned now. What do you think is next? What do you think is the next opportunity? Uh, five, ten years ago, what do you think we're going to be using in an hour for? I think in the formulation, it's where it's going. It's it's a greatest tool for the nutritionist. And I think having that data coming straight from the field to the computer and you have that formulation adjusted and sent back to the feed mixer, I think all that connection, it's, it's close to it, but I think we will fine-tune it to get more and more in that area and get everything instantaneously measured. And not only that, but we are also working on the back end and scanning manure so you can get both sides of the picture. And then if something is going wrong in the manure or you have too much nutrients being lost, then you can adjust and make those changes. So we are working on both ends. The manure calibration is is still small because we started this business not too long ago, but that's something that we are heavily working on to get the full picture of the nutrition. What are you thinking about uh what nutrients are you looking at in manure 
Are you looking at dry matter? Are you looking at fecal starch? Um, what specifically are you keeping your eye on? Yeah, dry matter and fecal starch is the biggest one. The fecal starch, I think, is the one that will be the biggest driver. We are we we have gone through measure NDF, ADF, those kind of other um, nutrients, but the uh, fecal starch, I think, is the driver because you can make assumptions uh, based on lab work that are pretty reliable. So we are working a lot on that field, on that on that particular nutrient. Very cool. Nice. It's it's cool to hear that that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, and speaking of digestibility, right? Uh, when I think about AV Vista, I think about uh, your enzymes um, and and some of those products that you have available. What impact do enzymes have on our forages, particularly corn silage? Where do you see enzymes fitting in um, in in our dairy operations? Great. I'm glad you asked that because we have worked quite a bit on corn and grass silage. And we always saw on our, our work in the lab on testing the forage with and without or enzyme or enzyme for fiber digestion. And uh, Every time we added that enzyme to the, the the forage to this corn silage, we increase in about 180 to 200 kilocalories per uh, kilo of dry matter. So it's quite a significant increase in the energy that you release, and and that's uh, gross energy that we release, and uh, and so that improves the usage of that energy of that forage by the animal quite a bit. So we have done quite a bit of lab work and now we are working on the field with that and kind of accounting for more energy when you use our enzyme. Can you walk me through, I don't want you to give away anything proprietary or anything, right? But can you kind of talk to me about what that process looks like from from the idea to actually being able to use something on farm? Because there's so many, so many enzymes, right? Like you talk about enzymes and fiber digestion it's kind of limitless. So how how do you screen the the enzymes that you're using and and kind of what does that look like from like the initial like, oh, we want to find an enzyme to help with fiber digestion to okay, we're actually gonna be able to start feeding this to cows. And again, you don't have to say anything proprietary or give away any any trade secrets or anything. I'm just curious about how that how that kind of looks for you guys. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, ABV stands now for being expert on enzymes and uh, we have been working with enzymes for monogastric for a long time. And then the way we look at it is like, well, the ruminants, what is the most uh, ingredient used is normally, I mean, I know we use quite a bit of grain, but still fiber is important. Now, if you put a put a fiber there just for being the source of fiber and not digestible, you might lose that space. So the first thing is how can we work on that? So then what's fiber is NDF, ADF, lignin, how we measure it. So lignin is not touchable, so we can't do much there. So we start looking at what can we do in terms of NDF, ADF. NDF, Xylanese would be the one that would digest that. And for AGF, xylanese and cellulase. So cellulase is the big one. So we use those both. We started working on those two to see what amounts we needed, how that would work. And then finally, we find them to get the right amount of those two mixed together. And then also, those are enzymes that naturally the microorganisms in the Roman release before they can get to the fiber because 
as we learn, there is a need to pre-digest that fiber so the microorganisms can get to it and uh, and digest it and get the energy out of it. And so with that, we pre-digest it with our, our xylenase and cellulase, and then we get to uh, the microorganism the pre-digested fiber and they can get all the energy possible out of it. So that's how we can improve that uh, 180 to 200 uh, kilocalories per kilometer there. So how can we make sure that our fiber is digested for maximum efficiency? Is it just enzymes or or what else can we be doing to make sure that we're getting the most out of our fiber? The, the biggest thing we always look in fiber is it needs to be digested in the rumen. So if we are in the rumen, we need to have that room in a good environment for the fibrolytic microorganism. Now, in that manner, we have to make sure the pH is not dropping too low because we use quite a bit of grain, high energy diets. So with that, we can use our other product that's VistaCell. So it's a live yeast and it can help stabilize that pH, scavenger that oxygen, and make sure the fibrolytic microorganisms thrive on that uh, fibrolytic that fiber and digest it well. I know that we're working well. We're, this is the dairy podcast show, right? And and our listeners that want to know more about beef nutrition can listen to the beef podcast show. Um, but when we talk about using enzymes for fiber digestion, is that just for dairy diets, or what other what other uh, enzymes are available for other? other ruminants or are we mostly just focusing on forage for our beef cattle as well uh, for beef we we use we, we, we focus on fiber on any on any ruminants because it's the main uh ruminants are designed to digest fiber so with the ramen and so we focus on on, on fiber but we have other products that we are working on that also help to digest the uh, help to improve the use of that starch or that energy. So we have another product that's called OptiParton that we recommend for beef and dairy when you have a high starch diet that we can help there too. I know we spend a lot of time, um, or at least I spend a lot of time in my work talking about making sure you're getting the best quality forages that you can get. And we've come a long way, it seems like, in the past several decades on making sure that we have those um, forage hybrids that have really great fiber digestion. Um, so where do you see, where do you see the enzymes kind of fitting in? Are they, are they, can every farm benefit from using these or is there kind of a cutoff where it's like, okay, your, your fiber, your forage quality is good enough that enzymes aren't really going to add anything extra. So where do you, I'm, I don't know if that question makes a lot of sense. It, but- it does. It does. And uh, that is an interesting point there because normally when we have a total mixed ration, we don't measure only the corn silage or the grass silage or the forage source. We measure the entire diet. So normally on the entire diet, we can see improvements. So our, our, our work is mostly done now that we did all the work in the lab with a particular forage. Now our work is done in a TMR. So if you have a good TMR, you still can get more out of that fiber. Now, with that said, like, for example, we did a work back in uh, 2011, I think. It's, it was before me that ABV studies was done, but it was done with different substracts. And there are some substracts that we don't see a whole lot of improvement. And one of those are uh, is alfalfa. So if you are heavily 
Uh, and again, alfalfa hay is one of those that the fiber is quite a bit uh, lignin because of legumes. They are higher in lignin. In lignin, we can do much. So that's kind of the approach that we get. Of course, when you mix alfalfa hay with other forages in a TMR, then we will see some improvement. But if you have a corn silage and those kind of things, you will have bigger improvements, let's put it that way. So I always say all forage is useful as long as it's not like bad, right? Like if it's moldy <laughs> or if it's spoiled, yeah. like obviously we want to make sure that we're not feeding that to our, especially our higher producing cows. So is enzymes kind of an opportunity to maybe unlock the potential of some of those forages that we have to feed? We're not just, we have it available. It has to be fed. Um, and, you know, not every year is going to work perfect, right? Like some years you're going to be over wet or over dry. And so our enzymes kind of an opportunity to unlock the potential of those uh, of those forages that we have to feed, but but might not necessarily want to in ideal circumstances. Oh, definitely. Yes, that's a good. And again, with that work that was done back in, uh, in different forages, we even did in straw and it improved quality of straw. Now, we always need straw in the, you, you have more than, than me there because you are in the cold area. So when it's really cold, we know that there are bales of straw put in the pan to, for, so the animals can uh, warm up and all that. But then when we, and a lot of people use the straw as one of the ingredients in the diet, then you can improve the quality of that straw as well. So that is work done there too. So it's, it's like you said, the not so convenient forage or the year that the corn silage wasn't put it, I mean, there was a frost and the quality dropped, we can still get more out of it with using the, and as long as you have that uh, NGF and AGF that we can work on. So this is a maybe an off the wall question. Um, and so if you don't have a response to it, that's fine. Um, but I know when I've talked to students before and talk about, so when we talk about fiber, that's, you know, the first thing you start with. You got lignin and you can't digest lignin. It's not really fiber, but it's, you know, included in the, in the um, ADF, NDF. And so we kind of start with like, well, okay, we don't have microbes in the room and that can digest lignin. Um, but I remember learning in my nutrition class in college that termites can digest lignin. And then they've got the enzymes that can that can break it down. So if you could put on, and I don't think this is near future, but if you could put on like hop in a time machine and look into the future, is there an opportunity to maybe use like genetic modification of or like there are there are some species that can digest it. Is that in the cards at any point, whether that's a hundred years from now or or 50 years from now that, that we might be able to actually start unlocking some of that lignin too? Well, I, I think we should, we could. I, I mean, I don't think anything would be out of the picture, out of the wall. I mean, we always have to consider everything that we can, can work. And I, I like that, that thinking because when you think about who does what and if we can isolate that enzyme and make it stable, in a, in an environment that we need it to digest that lignin, I think I think it would be great to get uh, to break that out. I mean, I don't know how much value that would add. Okay, yeah, and it's it's a it's a big question. It's like is that going to be a positive ROI? Because that's one thing we always have in mind, and we have to be uh, mindful of that. Is that 
the, the, the customer needs to have a positive ROI in order to invest in a product like that. But I, I like your thinking. Yeah, we have to think out outside the box all the time to be successful. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, Lignin is, is a pretty small percentage of most of our of our plants. And um, yeah. and, and the, the amount of research dollars that would have to go into a product like that might not might not have a positive ROI. I just know I've lost track of all of the students who have asked me if we can like, well, why don't we genetically modify a ruminant microorganism that can and and I've always tell them it's outside of my pay scale. So um, I figured I'd ask you since it, it's in your pay scale. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I appreciate. Like I said, nothing is outside of our thinking or our radar. But again, we always have to be careful where we invest and how much return we can get. But yeah, definitely. Is is in the it, it should be in our radar for sure. <laughs> well, well, we'll break we'll bring it back to Earth, right, and and to the current time, uh, <laughs> um, and maybe ask something a little bit more pertinent to feeding cows today. Um, how do yeasts benefit uh, from from these enzymes, and how do you? I know yeast is something I recommend a lot to to improve fiber digestion. I think it's really well proven that a good yeast can have a, a positive impact on, on fiber digestion. How did do, how does your company work with yeasts, um, and how do how did how can the yeast benefit from uh, some of those enzyme technologies? Well, yeast is always welcome because it's uh, it's the the live yeast for me is very important in terms of keeping that rumen pH, and we know that fibrolytic uh, microorganisms that will digest that fiber will have to have a, an ideal pH to thrive on, and so if we can add something that's not breaking the bank because yeast is not a very expensive technology and it's a very uh, cost-effective. So if we can add that to the diet and keep that rumen pH to the ideal and scavenger that oxygen and help the microorganism to survive, and then they will be able to digest that fiber better. If you invest in an enzyme to pre-digest, but you don't have the microorganism to digest and make that energy available to the animal, that's going to be going back to the back end. So that's important to keep in mind. And again, with the uh, live yeast that we have, we have a high CFU count, the highest in the market with the dose we recommend. And that helps not only the microorganism because of the pH and everything, but being, being a live yeast, but then also we have to think that the live yeast is going to die. So if you have a high CFU, that's going to become feed for the microorganisms as well. So you kind of get uh, uh, two rabbits for the price of one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so not all yeasts are created equal. That's what not, you're... Definitely not. Yeah. But everything we do in our development of products, we keep the ROI in mind. So we are not going to develop something that's going to break the bank and not bring the bucks back to the, the customer. So the ROI is important always. So uh, you mentioned high CFU. Um, can you can you explain what that means for our listeners who might not be aware? Yes. Uh, so CFU stands for uh, colony forming units. So the microorganisms, they multiply but they are kind of life. We have a lot of life microorganisms there. The Saccharomyces cerevisiae is the microorganism in the live yeast. And so we have in our yeast, we have 20 billion colony forming units per gram. 
And so, and uh, for a dairy cow, we recommend three grams. So you're talking about 60 billion and 60 billion with that. I mean, there is no other company that offers that much as a dose. And, um, and so that makes us a very interesting choice. And I know I'm biased because I'm related to the company, but still it's something that we always hang our hat on is that we have a lot of CFUs and uh, they will work scavenging that oxygen. So they once they are activated in their environment, in the raw environment, they need temperature, moisture, and uh, substrate. And we get all of those three in the Roman. So once the animal ingests that uh, live yeast that's not active, it becomes activate. It's going to start scavenger because it needs to survive. So it consumes the oxygen in that room environment. And then it uh, helps to um, stabilize the pH there. And then once they die, that high CFU again will count as uh, feed for the other microorganisms. So that's the way it goes. So it gets recycled. Basically. It's kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a, a simple way, yes, yeah, that exactly. The ruminant doesn't waste a lot, right? She's no. kind of designed to make sure that she's getting the most she can out of everything. So it's good when it's, we can uh, help her out with that a little bit. She's already got the mechanisms in place to be able to to make some of those uh, recycling choices on her own. Exactly. That's perfect. Yeah, that's, I love the ruminants because of that. We always can do things that no other organism can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that makes it fun, right? And also, I think a little bit challenging. I know you mentioned that AB Vista has done a lot with monogastrics. Um, and I mean, I'm biased because I'm also a ruminant nutritionist, but I uh, I feel like monogastrics have a lot figured out because it's a lot simpler organism to be able to do. So what was that? Uh, maybe you weren't at the company at the time, but what was that like making that transition to the ruminant world from the monogastric world? Was it a, was it an easy transition or? No, I think. I think it was quite challenging and it's still challenging. I know that one thing that, that I we pride ourselves at ABV says that the company started with uh, uh, scientists. So science is a big uh, pillar of our, our organization. And so there was quite a bit of research and development done, like I said, developing that uh, live yeast is selecting the right strain and all that, it went quite a bit of work there. And again, we didn't stop there. We have been working uh, with our fibrolytic enzyme that we have been doing a lot of work, lab work that has been done that show that which enzymes are necessary, which ones are the most, like you said, you have to select for the most um, effective one. And then also we got to a point that now we have to prove that it works not only in the lab, but it works in the animals. And we have been doing quite a bit of that work. And uh, there's one thing that we do, and we know it works, but it's hard to convince our customers is that because we have extra energy, we can reduce the energy and get the same result. But that one is a hard one to get somebody to trust because if you look at it, you say, well, yeah, I'm going to drop the energy in my diet and I'm getting going to get the same result. Yeah, you're kidding me, right? So that's kind of a hard one to, to get. But we are working quite a bit in terms of showing those results in uh, not only in universities, but in also field trials that we can prove that it, it happens. It's like more miles per gallon on a car, right? Exactly, yes. And uh, yeah. So can you tell me anything about the effect of um, your products on performance, uh, production health? I, we've talked about, you know, 
it's unlocking some of that energy potential. It's uh, stabilizing that rumen pH. What's the actual impact uh, on the animal itself? We have done quite a bit of work in, uh, in, like I said, in the lab, in the university, and also in the field. And we have seen improvement in more than a, a, a two pounds, two and, a half, two and a half pounds of milk. It's about a kilo. That it's being from Brazil, we mix kilos and pounds a lot. <laughs> I, I speak metric. It's fine. Yeah, I know. It. Yeah, you do. Yeah, and so, but in it, 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 when we started using it in the beef. It was interesting because we also saw improvement in uh, we saw improvement sometimes in average daily gain and sometimes in carcass weight. So there is improvement there, and this is something that brings back to the dairy. Sometimes in the past we had used it and uh, didn't see improvement in milk, and a lot of people said, "Yeah, it didn't work." Now, there is an interesting point that we found when we started using the beef, because beef we measure from the beginning to the end. You will weigh the animal in the beginning, and then you go all the way to the carcass. And so there is kind of ways to measure not only quantity, quality, and everything. In milk, you measure a lot of milk, milk solids, because that's what the, the dairyman sells. But then we don't measure a whole lot in terms of cow health, Cow uh, body scores. I mean, there is uh, measurements, hip reduction, and those kind of things. They are not directly related. And uh, when we have a high-producing cow, there is quite a bit of energy being. I mean, she gets the maintenance covered, and then everything else goes to production, and that's production, production, production. Now, we cannot tell that cow when we put more energy there if she's going to produce more or get a little bit relaxed and get a little more maintenance going. So that partitioning of that energy is not something that up to us to decide, is the cow to decide. And we have seen, and then that's the way I see with looking at the results in the beef. Sometimes we don't see milk improvement, but for sure that cow is getting in a better shape, getting a better reproduction. And if we measure a year or a year and a half from now, you will see a bigger calf and those kind of things that are not measured. And sometimes people say, well, I use it. It didn't prove anything. But then it might be there later on that if you get the full picture. And uh, and that's the reason we are talking about the matrix or reducing the energy in the diet, because then you will see that it shows that, that you are reducing that energy and giving that energy back. So. So do you think most of the benefit, when you see a benefit, do you think most of that comes from that additional energy that you're getting out of the forages? Or do you think it's from that stabilizing that rumen and making that rumen more efficient? What Do you have any any thoughts on, I know you can't probably have a proven one or the other, but do you have any, any hunches about where that mechanism is? I think it's a combination. I would say it's a combination because every time, and it goes with uh, ourselves when we have some... Uh, problems in our in our stomach we have to be uh using something to help stabilize that stomach to get better and also we have to get some energy slowly to improve so every time you have a challenge and so that's why i said both is because i think we have to combine the stabilization of the rumen and also provide that energy that the animal can get back so when you have a challenge i think you need both and in the normal days I think the rumen is always challenged because <laughs> the way we do our nutrition, we always push for performance and then it, the challenge is there every day, I think. So that's why I make that parallel. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you point out the milk components too. I know 
when I get questions about improving components or, or producers struggling with low fat or low protein, the first place I always go is, okay, is the rumen happy? And if we can keep that rumen happy, that's where I think we lo- drive a lot of that component production. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like that insight that they kind of play in hand in hand with each other because we can't get, we can't expect good outcomes if we don't get that rumen right. Exactly. And for fat, for example, we need that fiber, the good quality fiber to produce the fat. So if we can improve the quality of that fiber, that fiber with a fibrolytic enzyme, and then the fat is there. So that's kind of the way I see why we don't see a drop in, in, in solids. when it, it is. Very good. It game both ways. <laughs> Is there, so you kind of mentioned some different research projects that you've had going on. Um, is there any other any other any other research projects that you want to shout out or or talk about that have kind of looked at some of those live animal impacts? Yeah, we are we are working on on like I said, field trials that where where we can prove the effect, and we are kind of uh, betting a lot in terms of the matrix or reducing the energy. So we have, we are doing a large trial on that to prove that we can produce and because we can measure everything in the beef. So we are doing that in beef. So we are doing that. And as soon as we have the results, we'll definitely be glad to share that again. And hopefully you invite me again to to talk about that and share those results. (laughs) Are you going to, are you going to be in Ottawa this summer for ADSA? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Yeah, I right. actually have, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned, I actually have an abstract to present. So, All right. And, uh, yeah, it was not, I didn't do the work, but I am presenting it. I was lucky enough to get that uh, data that was sitting there. So we were able to analyze and show an improvement in uh, uh, that one particular was palm kernel extract. Okay. Uh, we improved the digestion of that uh, that substract. That's not an easy one to digest, by the way. <laughs> I know it's not very used in the US, but yeah. <laughs> Is that going to be a poster or an oral presentation? I I, I put for oral, but I read in the in the guidelines that they might change it. So as it stands right now, it's going to be oral, but I don't know. I'm waiting to see the the agenda to make sure that I think oral will be better because then we can interact and present and, and show the results there. But yeah, I don't know which one you prefer. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll tell listeners if they want to check that out, uh, search for probably your name in the in the abstract book when it comes out. Exactly. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. My name or AB Vista, you'll find us there. Yeah. Perfect. You'll be there, I assume. <laughs> I'll be there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've got, well, I'm not doing a poster. I've got a grad student doing a poster. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> you, you have that privilege to have your Exactly. Grad yeah. <laughs> so I get to go just listen to talks and, and do, you know, what a conference is actually for and, and enjoy other people's science and let the, let, let the grad students do the, the present presenting so no yeah i appreciate that and i and i always appreciate it. have been there done that i appreciate the grad student work and uh yeah that's and then and it gives you time to go see my presentation right exactly <laughs> so, yes exactly yeah <laughs> that'll be great that'll be sweet uh-huh. any other any other last thoughts before we move on to our our big three questions uh well no i think uh we covered everything i think uh like i said we we always work at the ABV stuff with the size in mind, but always looking at the pocket, like always applying science to help benefit the customer to get the most out of anything that they're feeding and keep not only get the most because you get to a point where, like we talked about, we challenge that roaming a lot. So we don't, don't want to only get the most, but get the animals in a better shape. So with all our products that our goal is 
to provide more profits to the customer, but also give a better life to those animals. And uh, there is other topics that we didn't even touch on, but it, there is other things that we're working on in terms of emissions and all that service that we are also working and we have quite a bit of experience, but I know the time is constrained. So, but that's something that it's always, we always have our the best interest of our customers in life, in, in mind. And we always want to provide the most with a positive ROI. So that's kind of our main goal in the company with the most science we can get behind our products, of course. Very good. It's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Fibro Animal Health Corporation, Healthy Animals, Healthy Food, Healthy World. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. R-Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. All right, so we'll move into our big three questions that we ask every guest. So our first one is, what is your favorite dairy-related uh, book or resource? Oh, that's a good question. I, I normally like, I know it's uh, very customer-oriented, but it's good to know what our customers are looking. So I think uh, Progressive Dairyman is a good one source to read what is going out to our customers, what they are looking into information and all that. So I like that one. And it's good to be in the conversation when, oh, yeah, you saw that article. Yes. And that's what, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I know I have a growing stack of like, I will, I will read all of these articles and I got to get caught up on my, <laughs> on my stack of magazines that I'm going to read someday. <laughs> That's not an easy task, definitely. Yeah. With everything else, with all the team meetings, <laughs> right, you yeah. put them there. <laughs> Journal of Dairy Science has a new one every month. Now they have JDS Communications. I got Hordes. I got Progressive. It's, it's a lot of reading. I can have a full-time job just reading. <laughs> definitely do, yes. Uh, so our second question is, what is your favorite non-dairy or non-agriculture related book or resource? Well, there's an interesting book that I read. It was a long time ago, but it kind of made me think a lot. Is uh, the, the title of the book is Who Moved My Cheese? I can't remember the author right now, but it's a very interesting book that we normally tend to blame the others. But that book makes us uh, blame ourselves and uh, instead of asking who moved my cheese. So it's an interesting book. <laughs> Well, it's kind of dairy-related too, right? It's got cheese Oh, there's cheese yeah. there, yes. <laughs> True. You said not dairy-related. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's far enough removed. I think we'll count it. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Appreciate it. And so our last question that we ask all of our guests is, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those who are not? Um, it's uh, That's an interesting question. And I think... The biggest thing I see with the more progressive producers and customers is that they invest in uh, technology 
and uh, science, like I said. So they, they, they read, they study, they look for. And so I think looking for those new developments, new science, new technology, things that are going to help them in the long run. And I think the technology is, I mean, and I know it's kind of cliche because everybody talks about technology, but I think it's what's moving us. And uh, I think if we don't invest in that and don't, that are not looking for those and uh, improving that, I don't think we can succeed. So I think the Thurman sets apart and any Thurman is set apart and they are looking for those information and technology. Lifelong learners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up with that. Before we let you go, um, do you have anywhere where people can find more information about you or your products or connect with you online? Definitely, yes. I I want to first thank all the listeners for your time. And uh, yeah, we we are please, we have an, an abvista.com website where you can find more information and find contact information. And you can look for me and uh, my colleagues, and we will be glad to answer any questions that come forward. But and I want to thank you for inviting me, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to chat, and I'm looking forward to maybe connecting with you this summer too. I hope so. Yeah, we'll see you in Canada for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Elias, for joining us today, um, and look forward to to seeing more of what you guys are putting out. I appreciate. Thank you for the invitation and the time spent here. I appreciate it very much, and thank you for our listeners too. <laughs>